my name is Tasha and this is my story of faith. Growing up, I wasn't raised going to church every Sunday. Uh, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, um, but none of his kids really attended church, so we didn't really go to church. Um, we'd go on Christmas, his birthday, Easter, um, those kinds of things. All the words that you never want to describe yourself with, like bitter, hateful, um, just consumed with that darkness. That was me. I had no intention of forgiving anybody. Um, just kind of holding it all in. So the conflict with the family that we had, I contacted them, reached out to them and said, Hey, um, I feel like we need to fix this in no way, shape or form. Was that me? That was all God just constantly in my ear. Like you need to fix this. I reached out to that family member and like anyone else that's been hurt, I had a list of things that I was going to give them the what fors about. They came over and the minute that I saw them, I just had this overwhelming peace. Like none of that even has to be said. 100% like I knew I by myself could not forgive that person. And I mean, looking back at the situation, if I would have gave them the what for, we probably wouldn't be here. It was 100% God just saying like, I've got this. Like, if you will give this to me, I will fix it. Like, if you have the faith to give this to me, I promise you in the end, it will all be better than what you think it's gonna be if you figure it out by yourself. I said, I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't have any scriptures memorized or anything, but I just kept hearing this like, I will not forgive you if you cannot forgive others. And that is, I was like, well, I'm gonna need some forgiveness for the things that I've done in my life, so I guess I better learn how to forgive others. I think that God just kind of showed me, like, I can't change them necessarily, and you can't change them, but if you give it to me, I can teach you how to love them just the way they are. And I think that that's my story because, number one, I did not intend on forgiving anyone, um, and two, because people really don't realize like you're not hurting anybody but yourself by holding that in. Um, and if you truly give it to God, it lifts such a burden from your chest. The hurt that you think can never be healed can truly be healed if you give it all to God. Hey man. Hey, uh, I love hearing those stories of faith. Those, those stories of our allegiance, our Loyal trust in who Jesus is. Hey, if you have a copy of Scripture with me, join, join me in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, one, you can pick a free Bible up on the way out at our kind of resource area. Uh, or you can go ahead and grab your phone, scan the QR code that's on the screen. It'll take you to a place on our central hub where you can read the Scriptures and follow along today. Uh, as we read. We love to study the scriptures here at Faith Church. It's one of, uh, I think, one of the, the three, one of three main kind of food groups, if you will, for a spirit that is healthy, a spiritual life that is flourishing. Prayer is like the, the protein that strengthens our communion with God. Worship is the water that refreshes the soil and, and our lives that get dry and weary and worn out. That worship in the presence of God soaks us and refreshes us and renews us, but it is the Word of God that is our daily bread. Come on, it's them healthy carbs that give you the energy to run the race that we're running in this life. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, this is what the Scriptures say. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women quickly ran from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then he said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord, and I am grateful for it. Let me, let me set the scene for you. Here we have women coming to the tomb to bury or to uh, put more spices on the dead body of Jesus, their Savior, their Lord, their Messiah. And they were going to uh, continue to make preparations. They ran out of time. They, they couldn't do all the full preparations, but they were going to the tomb nonetheless. And they find something peculiar. And, and I, I've got to admit, it is indeed peculiar. He was gone. His body wasn't there. Uh, if I can just acknowledge something, dead men don't rise again. Right? Like if it was a normal occurrence, we would have way less funerals going on in our world. But that's not the case. Dead men don't rise from the dead. But Jesus just wasn't any other man. He was the Son of God. Now, truth be told, uh, God's that others believed in don't rise from the dead. The prophet Muhammad died from a sickness buried in a tomb that you can go and visit. Buddha lived teaching some really interesting things, died of a sickness. His tomb is still filled. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead after dying of his own will and own volition to be raised again and defeated death and everything else that would hold someone back. It is different. Uh, one of the things that is true about Jesus and the teachings of Scripture that is different than any other world religion is that Jesus has a different response to the life after and he has a different response to how you live life now. In fact, one of the things that is unique about Jesus that is unlike any other God that people would believe in is that Jesus does something different when it comes to the human suffering and the pain that you experience on this earth. See, every religion has to give an answer for the pain and evil and suffering that exists in our world. And I have come to find and believe that when it comes to the marketplace of religious ideas, the, the God of the Bible and Scripture itself and the life of Jesus give us a better answer than any other world religion that exists. See, Jesus does something different. Jesus says, I know that the world is fully broken. I'm going to step into the brokenness. I'm going to suffer and die just like those I'm asking to trust and follow me. See, Jesus answers this on a totally different answer. And I believe that the God of the Bible answers it not only with empty, trite, hallmark statements, but by physically coming down to redeem, which means to forgive the evil that humanity perpetuates from the beginning of time, including you and me. He came down to redeem it. And also to renew all things that by this same power is going to enable his believers, his followers, his family, his people, you and me who have our faith in Jesus. He empowers us to live a uniquely different way in this life. He empowers us to do it totally different. C.S. Lewis said it like this, Christianity, if it is false, is of zero importance. If it is true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is just moderately important. Which means we have to settle 
for ourselves how we are going to approach the claims and the teachings of this man, Jesus. We have to make a decision because if it isn't important, if it isn't true, then, man, we're all wasting our time, but there are worse ways to waste our time on a Sunday. If it is of true, if it is true, and I believe that it is, then it is absolutely of the utmost importance, probably more so than we would give it credit for. This is why Jesus told us in following him, it was about denying ourselves and following him. In other words, if, if it is true, and I believe that the claims that Jesus made are true, what it cannot be is just moderately important. In other words, Jesus cannot be just another commodity that you add into your life to try to rub it like a rabbit's foot when crap hits the fan and you hope you get lucky one day. What it isn't is a fix for your weary weak. What it isn't is another commodity that you add into your life to now fit in with a Christian conservative culture in Southeast and Southwest Missouri and Kansas. It's not just some other thing. It actually requires you to reorient everything about your life around him. Jesus was a man who claimed God's status. He was now dead, and these women were coming to his tomb to honor and pour spices on the body. He indeed died. Friends, I, I think it's an, a really simple statement, but I think it's an important one. Uh, you cannot have a resurrection without having somebody die first. You have to have somebody die before they can be resurrected. This is true. In fact, Jesus said it like this in his last week on the earth with his disciples in John 12, starting in verse 23. He said, uh, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for this, their life in this world, well, they're going to keep it for all eternity. See, Jesus was using this illustration of a kernel of weed, alone, unburied, undead, it's just a kernel. See, Jesus, without going to the cross and going into the tomb, was nothing but just a man. But the minute he went to the cross and was buried in a tomb, all of a sudden he became a seed planted in the ground of life. And when he resurrected, now has created many more harvests of people believing and following and in the family of God. It has to be buried in the ground before it can sprout to new life. And, and here were these women coming to the place where Jesus was buried to find him. And the angel says something really interesting. The angel, in many translations, and especially in Luke's account, he phrases it this way. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Friends, you cannot find life among the dead. You cannot find life in the dead relationship that you've been trying to resuscitate for years. But it's going nowhere. You can't find life in the dead end of trying to numb the pain with more pills. It's a dead end. You can't find life among the dead. You, you can't find life among the dead uh, attempts to live vicariously through your children, asking them to achieve more than you did because you feel like you squandered an opportunity. You can't find life among those dead places. You can't find life at the bottom of the bottle where you have been looking for a sense of feeling alive and inebriation that causes you to not remember and not conjure up and not have to face the reality of the emptiness and the lack of fulfillment. You can't find living things among the dead. And so many of us are still searching for a sense of life in dead places. He's not here. He's risen. Jesus came announcing a kingdom and demonstrating a brand new way to live the human life. 
Jesus said that he came to bring life and life to its full, life to the maximum, life more abundantly. A flourishing human experience is available, not in the dead things that the world is telling you will provide life, but in the living God Almighty. Jesus came bringing abundant life. Now, when I say abundant life, I'm not talking about a richer, more wealthy life. When I'm talking about the abundant life, I'm not talking about a life that is void of any trouble or pain or problems. When I talk about the abundant life, I'm not talking about everything up and to the right and you always hit the right stock at the right time and multiplying it out every time you go. I'm not talking about a newer house, a nicer Benz, and, and, and a yard that is always flush without problems in your yard. I'm not talking about the externals of our life. When Jesus talked about the abundant life, he was talking about the ability to have peace when everyone else is experiencing a pandemic. When Jesus talks about an abundant life that flourishes, he's saying you can have joy when everyone else is completely depressed around you. When Jesus was talking about you can have abundant life, he was saying there is a sense of fulfillment in the work when everyone else was working for the weekend. You can be working in a way that produces life to its fullest. Oh, see, Jesus came to talk about a life, and, and it was an upside-down, paradoxical way of thinking. It, it blew the waters away from what we thought we knew about life and life to the full. See, Jesus came to bring a sense of wholeness when all you've experienced is brokenness thus far. Jesus came to tell you that you had freedom and wholeness and a sense of relief instead of holding others to a debt that they can't pay. This was Tasha's story that we saw earlier. It was her story where, where she was experiencing and knew that forgiveness was necessary. Forgiveness was possible, but it wasn't within her own power to do it. Why? Because a flourishing life can't be found through the deadness of your life. It only can come through the resurrected power of God living in you. Jesus says, I've come. Oh, that you can have that kind of life. And you can't find that life among the dead things of our world. See, Jesus came to bring victory over Satan, over lies, over brokenness, over sickness and the like. He came to bring victory over pain from death and defeating the power of death and hell and defeating the reality that we were born separated from God. And unless something changed, we would have been forever separated from God, that the God who can bring the life that he promised to bring. See, Jesus won the victory. See, when you win, it, you prove that you were the stronger, better person in the match. Uh, this is why uh, we love tournaments like the NCAA. Well, sometimes we love tournaments. Some of you are still grieving a deep loss where that little bird didn't make it very far, and that cat lost its prowl a little too early, you're still suffering. Some of you, pastor, you better move on. Give me hope right now. I get you, I get you, I get you. We love the tournament because there is an indisputed champ. Someone won. UConn won. LSU won. And there is nothing anybody can take away from it, nothing anybody can steal. They were the more powerful, more skilled, better executed experience they were better that day and they won friends the resurrection and the ascension of jesus that concludes a story of redemption it also inaugurated a story of renewal through christ's supreme authority giving humanity access to that same renewal in other words when jesus got up out of the tomb and he was resurrected on the third day he was saying i win and you don't have the power to keep me here. Jesus was letting us know that from the beginning of time, sin entered God's good created world and had began to fracture and tear apart and deteriorate and erode God's good world. But Jesus came in his power to reverse that, to bring us into right relation. He brought redemption. Friends, all of the Bible up to the point when Jesus arrives on the scene in the gospel. So all of the Old Testament is telling us a story of how God was at work setting the scene and setting the stage to come and redeem humanity. 
Oh, and when he redeemed them on the cross and he got up out of the tomb and was resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of God, he inaugurated a new storyline that says not only is it finished, the redemption, now we can begin to see my power going around the world through the people of God to experience renewed, flourishing life like never before. What was once held back for a select few for a purpose now was becoming available for all who would trust in this man, Jesus. He was changing the story narrative and taking us to a new place. See, Jesus physically came down to redeem us and to demonstrate his power. And that's why after he rose from the dead and he told his disciples, now go, ladies, go tell the guys to meet me in Galilee. I'm going to meet him there. And when he met them there, he, they spent some time with them, gathered them eventually on a mountain, and began to give them some final words. Let's, let's pick up the story in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. These are Jesus' words to his disciples gathered on this mountain. Jesus gathered all the disciples, and they saw him and worshipped him, even though some had doubted. Verse 18 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority, somebody say authority, in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus reclaimed some power that had been previously lost. You might be saying, Pastor, are, are, you, are, are you saying what I, what I think you might be saying? Are, are you talking about like, Yep. But I don't believe in that. Well, you have a problem with what Jesus taught. The number one reason why I believe that evil spirits, especially Satan, as we would label him, existed is because Jesus said that he does. And it actually helps us make sense of the evil and suffering in our world if there is a spirit who is contrary to the Holy Spirit, perpetuating and leading people to do evil in our world. I said that when Jesus rose from the dead, he had the power. Something happened. He took back the power. And he says, now all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, which means he had to go get that back. He had to win the battle in order to make that claim. You don't get to call yourself champ if you ain't the champ. You're the chump if you're trying to be the champ and you didn't really win and become the champ. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, you get a picture of what was happening in the unseen when Jesus got up out of the grave. Can I read it to you? It reads like a Tolkien, Lord of the Rings kind of scenario. And it's that kind of literature, but it's painting a picture for us to see what happened in the unseen when Jesus got up out of that grave. Revelation 12, it says this, there was a war, a great battle in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they don't love their lives so much that they're even afraid uh, to die. Therefore rejoice, O oh heavens. Oh, you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the seas. For the devil has come down to you in great anger knowing he has little time left. The enemy has been kicked out of the domain and the realm where God abides and dwells, and he's been relocated without power and authority 
to our world trying to still deceive. Look, look how Jesus says it. In John chapter 12, 31, he says, The time for judging this world has now come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul talks about this galactic battle that took place and the power that Jesus won by saying this, man, I pray for you that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world that is to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fits all things everywhere with himself. The apostle Peter writes a letter and he describes it like this saying, Now Christ has gone to heaven. That's the ascension. And he is seated at the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and the authorities and the powers in the unseen accept his authority. In other words, he's the man. He the man. You ain't the man. He the man. And in Colossians 2.15, this is probably one of my favorite because I like some good trash talk. It says it this way. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What does that mean? That means that Jesus hit them with a, you too small. You can't see me. You can't handle it. I got the ring. You can't. He was taunting them and made a display saying, you think you've got the power to wreck my world? Watch, my power is greater to renew all things and I'm going to start it right now. Oh, you think you win in death? Nah, dog. Hold, hold my, my communion cup. <laughs> right? I had to churchify it. Listen, you can't find life among the dead, but you can find life in the living God, Jesus Christ. Because he has the power to transform your brokenness into wholeness. He has the power to transform your bitterness into freedom. He has the power to transform your anxiety into peace. He has the power to transform your utter despise insecurities within yourself to give you a new identity and who Christ is. He has the power. It's his. In fact, the life you long for is actually on the other side of you dying a little bit. Look at John chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus, again, his last days, last weeks, last moments, says this. Those who love their life in this world, you're going to lose it. But those who care nothing for the life in this world will keep it for eternity. Jesus is confronting your priorities. Jesus is confronting what you think gives you power in this world. Jesus is confronting what you have defined as successful living. Jesus is confronting what you are placing your hope in. Jesus is confronting our lives and saying, if you want to find life, you're going to find it in the living man, Jesus Christ. But if you want to find life among the dead things, all you're going to find is more dead things. 
The question then becomes, what is the pathway to experiencing the renewed life that Jesus has the power to give us? How do we experience a life that is flourishing, where we have joy and peace and hope, even in the midst of our greatest and deepest pains and sorrows? How do we have a strength of communion with God when when everything in our world is distracting and tearing apart those things? How do we find this human flourishing? I think the answer is found in Jesus' next words to his disciples on the mountain before he ascended. Matthew 28, let's pick it up. I'll start in verse 18 so we don't lose it. It says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, guys, gals, go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, baptize them in the name of the Son, and baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to, what's that next word? Obey. Yeah, we don't like that word. (laughs) Teach them to obey everything I have commanded, and don't worry, I'll be with you always even until the end of this age, on into the life that is to come. How do we experience this renewal? How do we experience this life to the full? How do we experience this flourishing life that Jesus came to demonstrate and then get the power back to provide and grant you and me? How do we experience that renewal? One word, discipleship. Not church attendance, not not being a fan of Jesus and sharing all of those really cool memes that you love about Jesus. Actually allowing yourself to be transformed to be like him in our world. Not not just be like, oh, I like that song. That's a good song. I I like Jesus music. I can live with some Jesus music. learning to worship him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Discipleship. Not Christianity. Not praying a prayer. Not coming down front and kneeling when you were a kid in your little Baptist church. Not, not, Not praying a sinner's prayer. Not any one thing. It's about entering into a process called discipleship to where who you are is transformed and renewed by him. And Jesus said, guys, go into all the world because I've got all of the power. And there is not an evil demonic force that can withstand this command because I have the power, he don't. (laughs) Friends, renewal occurs through discipleship. Discipleship is one knowing God intimately through his word. Discipleship is practicing the way of Jesus. Oh, not just with church folk, but in the workplace, on the ball field, in the school that you attend, practicing the way of Jesus. And then here's the third part of discipleship. It is helping others leading them to do the same. In other words, it ain't just about your salvation. It's about the salvation of your family and community and people. In other words, your life is meant to impact someone else's life. So if you think, well, I got my stuff together. That ain't my problem. I love my Jesus time. I got my coffee. Great. Who else are you leading to grow in that too? It's a discipleship. Friends, it's on the other side. The the flourishing life that you are craving and longing for isn't in getting dressed up for Christian prom known as Easter. That's a smart Christian joke. It'll take you a minute to catch up. It's not in, well, I'm just going to get my fix on Sunday and call it good, and then I'm going to live formed by the world the rest of the week. Listen, every single day you are either being formed into the ways of Jesus or you are being formed into the ways of the enemy, the devil. There are only two options. And the consequences of them are eternal. 
Friends, when we begin to enter the process of discipleship, Jesus says, I'm going to begin to defrag the fragmented self that you are living with. I used to help take care of computers, and uh, when uh, computers, especially those of lesser quality known as non-Apple computers, uh, would start to slow down and fail, uh, there was a process that we would run often called a defrag, where we would take all of the fragmented, all of the things, all of the extra stuff that had kind of just sludged its way into the machine. We would have to run a defrag process to help the machine run better. Now, I'm explaining in layman's terms, there are others of you who are IT professionals who are like, you are butchering my job. You are not articulating this well. I'm sorry to misrepresent your profession. I do apologize. I'm just trying to help people understand that your soul is defragged naturally because you are living in a world where the presence of evil is still here, but the ultimate power of evil doesn't have to run your life. And we have to be defragged and reformed into a new life. That's why Ronald Rossheiser talks about it like this. There is within us a fundamental dis-ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable. In this life of ever coming to full peace, this desire lies at the center of our lives, in the marrow of our bones, and in the deep recesses of our soul. We are not easeful human beings who occasionally get restless, serene persons who once in a while are obsessed by desire. Now the, the reverse is true. We are driven persons, forever obsessed, congenitally diseased, living lives, as Thoreau once suggested, of quiet desperation, only occasionally experiencing peace. Desire is the straw that stirs the drink. Desire intrigues us. It stirs the soul. We love stories about desire, tales of love, sex, wanderlust, haunting nostalgia, boundless ambition, and tragic loss. Spirituality is ultimately about what we do with that desire, what we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope they bring us. That is our spirituality. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, one of my favorite words and phrases in all of Scripture, but God, who is rich in mercy, And loved you so much that even though we were dead because of all of the sins of our lives, oh, he gave and gives us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we are given this. God's grace is his spirit's power in us. His spirit's power is the antithesis of Satan's work in our lives because we are either containers and carriers of the presence and the life of God or we are containers and carriers of the evil of our world born in a sinful state. Those are the options. And God, who is so rich in mercy, said, I'm going to send my son to do it differently than anyone else. 
and I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to pay the price with my blood to adopt them into my family. My son is going to show them how to be cleansed and baptized in water so that their lives are renewed and regenerated and washed, and I'm going to indwell them with my very Holy Spirit so they have a power at work in them to live victoriously and see the flourishing life of God in a land of death. Friends, we respond to this tension of our desires. We respond to this tension of our world typically in one of two ways. And maybe you can relate to one of these two ways. One way that we respond to it is through legalism, where we try to repress having any desires and, and, and heartbeat and emotion in life, and we just try to legalistically manage the sin problem in our life. We try to legalistically make ourselves good enough to feel like we are deserving of something, and it produces death. Maybe you've been to, to, to environments and churches and places like this where it was rules and regulations and just try harder and read more scripture and dress nicer when you come to church and quit doing this and stop doing that and, and just try harder. That's, that's legalism. It produces death, not life. On the flip side, we, 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 sometimes we don't try to repress our desires. You know what we try to do? We try to let them run free, baby. It's called hedonism. Feels good, do it. I don't feel like I am this gender. Let me change my gender and identify differently. I don't really like this sexual orientation. I'm going to reorient. Something within me feels broken. I'm going to try it different. I don't really like not making money. I want to exert my power in this world by having more money than the guy next to me. I'm going to let my passion and my greed and my desire for drive and success to run wild. I'm just going to run over people. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I make fun of people. I don't care who I gossip about. I'm going to run my life. I'm going to let it run free. And if I want to express myself this way, this is how I'm going to express myself. Just do it. And we live in a world where those seem to be the two options, and neither of them produce life. Oh, but there is a third way. That is actually the one way. The one truth. The one life. His name is Jesus. And he invites us to become his disciples, his apprentices, who learn the ways of Jesus. And we can experience a regenerated heart of devotion when we step into the waters of baptism. And we accept the, the blood of Jesus as our adoption into the family of God. And we recognize that the waters are washing us clean, leaving behind the life that we once lived. And we receive the spirit indwelt in us that is the power to live the life of of Christ. It's not trying harder. It's learning to train properly. See, following Jesus isn't about trying to not do something. It's about every day waking up and saying, God, how can I practice knowing you intimately through your word as I read today? I'm not trying to earn anything. Well, I don't have to earn anything. I'm his son. But I can encourage and learn and grow in finding him. Friends, we receive the resurrection life of Christ through dying. That's why we enter the waters of baptism. Next Sunday, as a church, we're going to celebrate water baptism. There's something amazing that is happening there. Jesus said to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Baptize them and teach them. Baptize them and teach them. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and baptize them in the name of the Son, and baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. Because those three testify as a living witness of the embodied faith that you are proclaiming that you hold to. See, faith is not an intellectual agreement with some statements about doctrine about a man. Faith is a loyal trust embodied in your life as you follow Jesus. Are you... Faith is what saves you. And saving faith is about having loyalty on a man named Jesus and embodying his life and his truth and his teachings about who he is into my everyday life. It's about being baptized and being taught to obey his words. What do we do every Sunday when we gather? We're going to open scriptures and we're going to teach. And then we're going to look at one another and say, now let's go obey that this week. Next Sunday, we're beginning a brand new collection, learning how to talk about learning what it means to be the radiant people of God. Learning how do we move from being radioactive in our world 
to actually cultivating a life that radiates the very life of God, that reflects the power of God that he says he gives us when we believed. We're going to talk more about the unseen and all those things in the coming weeks. We're going to encourage you to come. Not only do I want you to come, I, I want to encourage you to bring a printed Bible over the next few weeks. You're like, I, I, don't, I don't have one. Well, we would love to give you one. You can pick up a Fresh Start Bible today. Well, how much does it cost? Nothing. It's been paid for by the generous people of God. But if you want to be a part of somebody else's life being changed and you want to pay it forward, you can pay. That would be fine. But the Bible that you're about to take is a gift. And you can provide a gift for somebody else if you want. That's great. But pick up a Bible. Bring it with you. In fact, I'm going to start putting page numbers on the screen so you can find it quicker and look at it together in the text. That's, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, please, please, please. How else will you learn? If we can teach our kids how to throw a ball and spike a volleyball, but we can't teach them where to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are failing in discipling our kids. If, if I'm telling you what the Bible says, but I'm not showing you how to find what the Bible says, I am failing in teaching you how to obey the truths of God. Now, let's not say we're always going to put page numbers up and you got to look up everyone. That, that just, that's legalism. Get off that train. We ain't playing that game. But we do want to teach to obey. You might be sitting there, Pastor, I don't, I don't feel like I have the power. Let me ask you a question. If you haven't begun to experience the flourishing life of God, have you been through the waters of baptism yet? See, in, in, the, in the Greek, the word baptism is the word baptizo. There's two words in the Greek. One is bapto, which means to dip. And the other is baptizo, which means to immerse. And the word that Jesus is using is the word baptizo. And, and it's different because... Uh, in, in ancient Greek, there's a, um, a recipe on how to turn cucumbers into pickles. And what they would do is they would take the cucumber and they would dip it in water. Why would they dip it in water? To clean it. Why do we dip people in the waters of baptism? because it cleanses us. It's an outward embodied statement that we have been cleansed by Jesus. But, but then they not only bapto the cucumber, they then baptizo it in vinegar. Baptizo, they would immerse it in and they would let it, don't miss this, remain. What happens in those moments of baptism is not only are you being dipped clean, but when you come up out of the water, we pray and believe that the Holy Spirit comes and remains in your life. See, because the people of God aren't cucumber people, we're pickle people. And some of you are like, my life isn't flourishing like that. That's because you haven't received the power source that actually transforms your very existence into life. And it's time to step into the waters and be baptized and allow the Spirit to baptize your life, cleansing you of all the other evil container stuff that you had carried into the waters so that you can become a clean vessel ready for the spirit to be poured out in your life the women went to the tomb and they knew there was a problem they wouldn't be able to really see Jesus because something stood in their way you know what was in their way a stone but when they got there someone who was more powerful and stronger than them moved the stone out of the way 
Some of you are like, I don't think I've got the power to live this life. My life isn't flourishing. I'm struggling. I'm drowning. Life feels overwhelming for you. It's time that you take the first step and ask God, God, would you adopt me to your family and forgive me and give me your life? I need your power to move this out of the way so I can see Jesus. And Jesus can do something in my life and transform me and move in me. Some of you today, God has been stirring your heart from the very beginning. And today is your day to just say, God, move the stone away in my life. Move the life of sin. Move the bitterness. Move it out of the way. Give me the power to live this life. Lord, would you meet me here today? Would you stand as we close in prayer? close your eyes and take a moment to respond to the Lord in your own way. We're not going to lead you in some massive prayer and emotionally get you to say something that you don't believe. We're, we want to give you a moment though with the Lord and just simply say, Holy Spirit, in this moment of quietness, how do you need me to respond today? Have I been looking for living things among dead I've been living a legalistic life trying to earn my way to you? Have I been living hedonistically and just letting my desires and life run free? God, would you instead regenerate my heart today? Would you begin a process of renewing me today? Jesus, would you speak to us in this moment? by your spirit and grace, the power, the ability to walk into those places and walk away from the dead spaces, but instead to find life in you. Give us the courage to sign up for baptism. Give us the ability, Lord, to wake up and begin to train every day in the ways of God instead of train ourselves in the anxiety and the stress and the pressure and the lack of joy and the discontentment, God, teach us to be trained in the right ways of living. Lord, make us more pickly. We love you. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Spirit who lives within the people of God, and everyone said, amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer, our team, they're available. You want to sign up for baptism, they'll help you out there take that next step but let's today on this resurrection fill the room speaking blessing over our family and friends next to us let's read it nice and strong ready go may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord show you his favor and give you his peace amen hey go in god's grace and peace happy easter you're dismissed i really hope today's message was life-giving as a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.